Hello and welcome to NAC News. I'm Amy Simmons-Farber and today we're going to be talking about community health centers and data specifically as it results to COVID-19 and the pandemic. Community health centers have been on the front lines of COVID since the pandemic arrived on our doorstep and six months later we know a little bit more about the virus and how it's already affecting health center patients and providers. Um, and that's thanks to data that's being collected on a weekly basis and reported to the Health Resources and Services Administration. Uh, we have NAC staff who are tracking this data and what it means, and they're joining us today to explain it to us and the snapshot it presents. Today, I am joined by Sarah Baser, Research and Data Manager at NAC, Dr. Julia Skapik, Medical Director of Informatics, and Colleen Meinman, Senior Policy Advisor. Sarah, can you give us a snapshot of the data that's been collected so far and what it is telling us about how health centers are responding to this public health crisis? HRSA has been collecting data weekly on health centers operations and procedures since the beginning of the pandemic. The very first survey they collected was everything leading up to April 3rd, and since then it's been a weekly analysis. As of the most recent data from them, health centers have tested more than 1.5 million patients with 240,000 of them testing positive. In general, more than half of these patients tested are of racial and or ethnic minorities, and um, that's the same for those that tested positive, which is disproportionate to their representation throughout the nation. We are hearing reports about minority populations being disproportionately affected in terms of infections and hospitalizations. Is, so that's what the data is showing you so far, Sarah? Oh, certainly, yes. Every week, it's reporting approximately 50 to 70% of those tested or tested positive are of racial and or ethnic minority background. And we know that that's not nearly the representation that we see on the national level. I'm fortunate that that's occurring. We also know what the numbers don't tell us. And Julia, I know that this is kind of your area of specialty. And it might be useful to give us a little bit of a definition of what informatics means in terms of data. Informatics is the study and practice that lives sort of at the intersection of a few different domains. So informatics looks at data primarily, so um, not only information about specific patients, but information about how we practice and how we get billed and our experiences and all of those kinds of things. It's also the study of or the use of technology to try and address challenges and improve the way that we provide care. And then it's also application of smart ways of applying healthcare processes around standardization, around quality improvement, around providing the most effective and evidence-based care we can. Why is it so hard? What are the biggest challenges in getting the right data at your health center? The challenges are actually not very unique to COVID-19. They're the same challenges that we routinely see throughout the industry, but they're complicated by the fact that at least with some other kinds of clinical data, we've been practicing and gathering that data for some time. Uh, many of the elements we need to track COVID-19 are new concepts. 
In fact, while there are many COVID-19 concepts in the common medical terminologies that we use, a lot of terminologies don't get released very frequently. Those are still sort of theoretical concepts. They don't really exist. So it can be a challenge for systems to try and implement those. You know, the workflow challenges are there also. If you're not used to doing a COVID-19 screening uh, in the past, you don't have any place to put that information in the record. Uh, you aren't practiced in figuring out how to extract it. And the data quality can be affected by the fact that staff aren't familiar with these new processes and that they don't have the same level of standardization in those definitions. We have seen very rapid movement in the industry to try and address a lot of those gaps. Obviously, that information is critically needed to respond effectively to the pandemic. But deploying those kinds of concepts is still a challenge. And when you see things like improvements to federal interoperability standards, you usually see a period of one to two years at least to implement them. And we just don't have the luxury of that kind of time. So people are having to make a lot of workarounds and they're still sort of struggling with data completeness and data quality. Well, you raise a good point because the data that we're collecting now is, is supposedly to advance our understanding of how, what resources are needed, what we need more to advance efforts to combat community spread of COVID. Colleen, is there anything you can tell us about how the data we're collecting now is uh, important for what we're trying to communicate to policymakers and decision makers? Uh, yes, I think the data that we're collecting now is important not only for what for points that we want to make to the policymakers at the federal level, but also helps to inform them about decisions that are much broader than health centers. In terms of the, the second point, health centers are one of the few examples in the federal government where the federal government actually has some sort of footprint right on the ground. If you look at most of the federal health care programs, the federal government works through states or it works through some provider organization or something. But the health center program is, is unique in the healthcare world. And for that reason, HHS and the White House are paying an enormous amount of attention to the data that we are submitting because it is a one opportunity for them to get a, a snapshot across the entire nation of what is happening in terms of testing, what is happening in terms of hotspots, what is happening in terms of capacity. I'd like to assure health centers that that data really is looked at by people not only within HHS, but also right up to the White House to get a, a feeling for what is going on across the country with this pandemic. The second point is that, um, as health centers know, we are continuing to push to get additional funding from the federal government for health centers to help support not only the costs directly related to COVID and the lost revenues related to that, but also all of the increased costs that are coming at us from pent up demand for care and the millions of newly uninsured, unemployed Americans who are going to be starting to come to health centers for care for the first time. And the data that we are getting weekly from HRSA that is submitted to HRSA is invaluable for demonstrating to both the Hill and HHS policymakers what we as health centers are actually doing on the ground and, and the valuable role that we're playing in the pandemic. And that is very helpful for making the case of we need additional support in particular areas in order to be able to continue what we're doing and to meet the demands that are heading our way. And I'm gonna just throw this out to either Sarah and Julia, 
because I think it's important to know what the data isn't telling us. For instance, I was listening to a health center talking about a family of eight living under one roof, all of whom tested positive that needed, you know, follow-up support and services from the health center. The data doesn't track that, right? The data doesn't talk about what happens after the test and after the services that a family might need if they test positive and need food, shelter, medicine, supplies. Is that correct? So the, the data is really only as good as the energy that you've spent to routinely uh, figure out how to collect and perfect that data in the past. So if you're trying to sort of start on that effort right now, you face a gargantuan kind of task. If you're an organization though, that was routinely using screenings and other tools, using the record to record that data, then you may be able to sort of instantaneously put those two pieces together and say, for people who are high risk or for people who are infected, they have these known needs and how do we respond in timely fashion to those? But again, that infrastructure really needs to be there if you're going to put two pieces of information together. And, and in the context of COVID, you know, people are having to make so many operational changes to the way that they provide care that they generally don't have the luxury of spending a lot of additional effort on um, new data capture efforts and new data extraction efforts. That actually dovetails into my next question to all three of you. What strikes you about the how health centers have changed their operations during this pandemic? I'd say what strikes me the most is the incredible flexibility and, and ability and willingness to turn on a dime that so many health centers have, have demonstrated. Nobody ever wanted to be in this position where we had to change so many things seemingly overnight or at least over the course of a few days, but health centers did it. I mean, uh, people are saying that in about one week, health centers made as much progress in implementing telehealth as maybe had been done in the previous three or four years put together. So just very impressive ability to, to adapt, to do what needs to be done to meet the needs of our patients. I'll echo that. It's been incredible to see how quickly they've been able to pivot from their operations before to, like Colleen said, I think prior to COVID, about 50%, maybe even less, were using telehealth. And then the most recent data shows almost every single health center has used telehealth in the past week. So it's been really impressive to see that. And then also how they've been resourceful with PPE. That was predominantly reserved for dental work prior to COVID. You know, we don't know how long this pandemic, how long COVID is going to be with us. So there is a lot of uncertainty. And in terms of the challenges that health centers face in responding to the crisis now, do you see any indications of what they may, you know, what they'll be dealing with, like the shortages of PPE, supplies, resources? PPE is definitely lacking for um, kind of across the board especially as we're seeing the resurgence in COVID. A lot of health centers thought that we were not on the way out, but um, had it under control and were managing the testing process. But as rates have spiked up again in certain hotspots, PPE shortages are now reoccurring. One of the challenges, staff shortages. We've seen some staff burnout and staff have had to choose between caring for their family and going in and serving their community. 
weather has been an issue, especially as we turn into the hotter months for those staff that were testing patients outside or doing drive-up testing, especially in these hotspots that are in really hot states, like physically hot, they just physically can't be outside all day and going up to patients that too hot to do that. Um, and then the reoccurring challenge that we haven't really been able to fix on a national level is how to best serve the homeless population throughout this because there is mm -hmm. a lag in turnaround time among the for the tests. The quickest we've seen is 12 hours, but that's pretty rare. Average is around two to three days, sometimes even up to a week. And so homeless who don't who are somewhat itinerant and don't have a stable address that you can send the results to, it's hard to test them and provide them with materials to educate them on how to best prepare and um, protect themselves from COVID. Yeah, and I'll say, you know, especially as the length of time of the epidemic is dragging out, there's becoming sort of this increasing urgency of attending to sort of routine health needs. For a short period of time, I think many clinics were, you know, attempting to manage with minimal level of touches in a virtual way, and it's clear that that's not going to be adequate and that the pandemic is not ending anytime in the near future. So we really do need to make substantial changes the kinds of services and the way that we deliver services virtually as well as in person. You know, testing is still a major issue. There's still a shortage of swabs. As Sarah was saying, there's still a significant lag in test results. There's a lot of misinformation both on the side of patients as to how to protect themselves and what activities are appropriate as well as sort of where to get the kinds of care that they need and, and how to respond to that. Uh, that's complicated by the fact that social services organizations and organizations that offer often help to provide services may be affected themselves. They may not have PPE so they can stay open. There are places where infection will jump up and down relatively quickly. And as the health system becomes strained, we could expect to see even more of that fall on the health centers themselves. We know that in New York City, that very much happened. They ended up having to set up sort of field sites to care for patients where they weren't, you know, they weren't able to really manage that kind of onslaught. And the effect on the staff is very substantial as well. As people become exposed and ill, the people left to take care of everyone else are fewer and farther between. That's an excellent point, and it's also an example of really what the numbers don't tell us sometimes in terms of painting that human picture of the impact of COVID. I do want to say, though, you know, it is possible to gather those kinds of numbers, and one of the things that NAC is trying to do in our work with CDC and HRSA is to help figure out how to get more of that kind of rich, raw, instantaneous or near instantaneous kind of data so we can respond in real time. It's not very effective if we say a month ago we should have done this as compared to if we say this week we can do this differently and it will have an expected positive impact. I think we're moving in that direction, but pretty slowly. And if we can accelerate our ability to respond in real time, that will make a substantial difference. How do we do that? How do we accelerate that in real time? From my perspective, and I bet other people might have their own opinions, because I think it's a, it's a multi-pronged approach, but we have to very aggressively sort of go after that data, and we have to just recognize that it's not perfect to start with. 
we have to take all the data that's relevant and important from the local site and we combine it with other data sets that are available from public health agencies, work with partners like medical centers and inpatient facilities. And you know, the, the great thing about data is uh, one plus one isn't two, it could be three or five or six if we do a good job of combining the right sets of data together to help us understand where are we doing well, what's working, what's not working, where are the gaps, how do we fill them? Well, Colleen, this is a question for you, because you spoke earlier mm-hmm. about the federal footprint that health centers represent on the ground in terms of the frontline response mm-hmm. to COVID. And yeah, if we had that real-time data, then we could make a clearer case to, to Congress and policymakers about the needs on the ground to respond in more immediate ways. But there has been, you know, a bit of a difficulty in terms of the resources flowing to community health centers. So I guess my question to you is, how can we communicate when we don't have that real-time data, but we know on the ground what is happening? How can we communicate that effectively to lawmakers? I think it's a matter of a combination of using the best data that we have and, you know, not letting the perfect be the enemy of the, of the good. If you know that the data is pretty good, go forward with it and mixing that in with some, some real stories. I've found that really whether or not a stories are more effective or data is more effective really varies depending on who you're talking to. And so to make a, a convincing case, I think it's helpful to talk about both. And so I uh, would recommend that we, we use both of those approaches, the best data that we have and the anecdotal, this is what's happening on the ground right now. And if I could loop back to the question you raised earlier about what the data doesn't say. The data doesn't tell us a lot about the financial situation that some health centers are in. You can get some of it from, for instance, how many sites have been closed or furloughs or whatever but not much more beyond that. I'm very concerned about the three particular subsets of health centers and their financial ability to keep going on doing what needs to be done around COVID while also dealing with the pent-up demand for care and then what I expect to be millions of new patients. Um, very worried about those that are over 500 employees and therefore couldn't get funding under the uh, Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, worried about those who are located in hot spots, meaning high impact areas, not just high temperatures. You know, Congress or HHS is providing $20 billion to hospitals located in hot spots, but to, today there's been no special funding for health centers located in hot spots. And also locate, worried in general about those like located in urban and suburban areas because um, rural providers have gotten some additional support. But health centers in urban and suburban areas have not qualified for that support. So that is a piece I think is, is not ideal on what we have in the data right now is it, it's not breaking out, uh, giving a full picture of the financial strain that a lot of health centers are experiencing. That's an excellent point. I want to close <laughs> by asking a, a question about what the future holds for health centers on the front lines. If you guys are looking at the data now, how can we project forward to where we'll be say six months from now? One of the challenges is in order for us to get where we need to go, we need to do continuous improvement in a way that we are not used to doing. Our cycles of PDSA and QI need to be measured in days and not weeks to months. And one of the challenges with the financial data is that it takes weeks to months to get paid and to get the administrative paperwork processed. 
But unfortunately, the clinical picture moves much more quickly than that. And I think there's such a significant impact of the public health response that it's very difficult to actually make clinical predictions if we don't know what our public health and uh, government agencies are going to do in terms of, are they going to aggressively take the evidence-based steps needed to control the outbreaks? And interestingly, you know, that's a regional or even local kind of problem that's you know, different from place to place. But the one thing we can be sure of is if in some regions we're continuing to see large outbreaks, there won't be any sustained control nationwide either because people continue to move back and forth. You know, we're hearing from health centers all over the country right now that they just see license plate after license plate of states that are two, three states away all day long. It's the summer and people are still traveling in cars. I mean, you know, that spread is going to happen. So unless there's a really a unified effort at sort of all the levels uh, of public health and governments, along with the um, clinical organizations to really lock down outbreaks as they're occurring and really provide the testing infrastructure and PPE supplies that are needed. I think we will continue to see sort of wildfires all over the place and people will continue to run to each fire and try to put it out when in fact clearing mm -hmm. all the dead brush out and keeping people from, uh, you know, setting campfires is probably the better long-term way to go. I uh, do not have a crystal ball that tells me confidently what to expect six months from now for a couple different reasons. First of all, health centers rely um, on federal funds under Section 330 uh, to help keep their doors open, and Congress has only uh, provided funding through November of this year. So whether what Congress decides to do about our funding going forward is going to have a big impact on where we are six months from now. In addition, even assuming that Congress does get around to uh, providing with some stable long-term funding so we can do some planning, I think there's going to be significant variability in where health centers are based on a couple different factors. Uh, based on the reality on the ground of how the pandemic is playing out, are they in a hot spot? To what extent are local authorities and populations following the evidence-based practices to help control the pandemic? That's number one. And number two, uh, financial issues specific to the pandemic that I referenced earlier. For instance, are, is your health center too large to get a paycheck protection loan? In that case, you're going to be in a lot more financial difficulty, which leads back to the, the incredible importance of Congress getting around to providing health centers with stable long-term funding so that we can actually do some planning. That was critical well before the pandemic and is even more critical now. That's an excellent point, Colleen, because what we do know and what we're hearing from the field is individual health centers really struggling to make things work, to stretch resources, to stretch their staff, sometimes beyond their limits. Sarah, is this something that, another area where the data just doesn't tell the full story? Yes, yeah, because like I said, the data is really only, at least, the data I've seen is only capturing national averages of operations and ongoing efforts and not really calculating how that's impacting 
health centers fiscally and how it will continue to impact them fiscally as we head into the 2021. I want to thank all of our panelists for joining us today. To learn more about community health centers and their work against COVID, you can visit our website at www.nac.org.